Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. This month, Yumiko introduced six new mesh tones available for all personalized pieces. And as a summer celebration, Yumiko is offering a special in-store discount to our New York City listeners. Show that you are subscribed to Conversations on Dance at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your in-store purchase. Visit yumiko.com for store hours, and be sure to follow along on Instagram, at yumiko, to stay up to date. Special thanks to the Town of Vail for their support of the Vail Dance Festival and Conversations on Dance live podcast recordings. This episode was recorded at the Manor Vale Lodge. Hi, everyone. Welcome. My name is Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I am Michael Sean Breeden. Rebecca and I are both former dancers with the Miami City Ballet and the co-hosts of the podcast Conversations on Dance. This is our first festival forum in over two years, and Rebecca and I couldn't be more excited. We're so happy you all came out to join us. We're so excited to see live dance tonight. We're excited that all of this work that the Veil Dance Festival put in came to fruition, and we're all here, so we're thankful to everyone for that. And we're going to be doing nine events like this throughout the festival, so we hope you guys will join us for some more. Our first guest today is uh, the Artistic Director of the New York City Ballet, Jonathan Stafford. I couldn't think of anyone better to lead us out. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm big fans. <laughs> it's a pleasure for me to be a guest of yours. Aww. I'm so glad to finally have you. I know. We've never been able to talk to you in this capacity, so we're really excited. So let's start at the beginning like we do with most of our first-time guests. Tell us a little bit about your early dance training and then what ultimately led you to the New York City Ballet. So I grew up in a small town in central Pennsylvania, and my younger sister started ballet. My older sister was in gymnastics, and I was doing soccer and baseball. So, of course, within a year, uh, my older sister and I were also doing ballet because our teacher was very persistent and (laughs) saw a boy um, and needed boys in the school and kept hounding my parents to get me to start. And also my sister, Abby, my younger sister, who's currently a principal dancer at New York City Ballet, was incredibly talented. So I think she thought if he has an iota of the talent, Uh we need him. (laughs) And But what really got me was I went and saw a performance of the school, the Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, and the the advanced male student up there at the time on the stage was just flying around the stage. And I went home that night and told my parents, I think I want to try this. And so in the middle of a school year in like February, I started just as a beginner student and um, got to do my first performance that June. And that was it for me. Mm -hmm. And then I, um, 
we had some alums from the school that had gone on to dance at the School of American Ballet and New York City Ballet. So it was always this um, draw to go up to New York. And we always saw tapes of New York City Ballet. We, we danced Balanchine Works at CPYB, which we were very fortunate to do. So for me, it was kind of from a pretty early age, that was the track mm-hmm. that I was at least striving for. And I was very fortunate that things fell into place and I ended up at SAB and then uh, joining the company in fall of 1998. Did you have any sort of awareness as a kid how lucky it was to be sort of next door to this incredible school? You know, it's when you think of the major schools in America, you have like San Francisco Ballet School and, you know, SAB associated with New York City Ballet, um, major metropolitan areas and then it's just like well carlisle pennsylvania like what was that like did you know that it was it was really good training not at first i mean i think we thought that that's just schools like that exist everywhere Uh and then we would do regional dance america festivals where a bunch of schools would come together and perform and we started to realize like huh you know like all these schools are good, but we, we know we're pretty good. You know, we could tell the level, the ballets we were doing and not just, um, the, the best students at our school, but the whole school was just so strong that when we would put on these big group uh, performances that, you know, the level was just really high. Um, I, I think it then went from us not knowing to us being probably a bit arrogant. Right. Like, yeah, we're from CPYB. And we're right. super good. There was a little bit of a sense of that, too, just because right. we... Um, we had a very talented group too. I was very fortunate to be surrounded by a bunch of talented colleagues and we all pushed each other and, and a lot of them went on to dance, you know, very successful professional careers. So it was just a really fun, uh, atmosphere, fun group to be a part of. We worked our butts off, you know, it was a very hard training regimen and everything, but it, it got me to where I, I ended up. So I'm grateful. That's so funny because I think a lot of dancers will say the very reverse of that story. Like, Oh, I thought I was the cream of the crop in my school. And then I went to a competition was like, Oh, there's really good dancers out there. So you guys had that like, oh, we're pretty good. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. that. So you danced with the company for 16 years and it's, it's hard to boil down a career that long into a few sound bites. But what would you say are some of the experiences you had there that really shaped you as a dancer and then now as an artistic leader? Well, dancing the Balanchine rep, there's nothing like it. I mean, there really isn't. And so I was very lucky to get to dance a wide range of Balanchine roles. That was kind of my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more of a classical dancer, which that was just my upbringing. I did get to work with, you know, some of the great choreographers, Chris Wielden, um, Alexei Ratmansky, and certainly um, Mauro Biganzetti, who was my only foray into more contemporary contemporary dance. Andy Vayette used to joke that I was a closet contemporary dancer because <laughs> nobody knew I could do it, and then uh-huh. they'd see me in this rep, and they'd be like, "John, what was that?" <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed, you know, obviously the diversity of the rep mm-hmm. was was really fun. Um, some of my favorite ballets to dance were by Jerome Robbins. I didn't get to do a lot as principal, but in the core, some of my favorite memories on stage come from his ballets. And, you know, we got to work with the best of the best in terms of who was passing on Balanchine's legacy mm-hmm. and Robbins' legacy. And I think the best thing about dancing at New York City Ballet is you're constantly challenged. Mm-hmm. We do 60 ballets a year. So you're constantly working on the next thing. The next thing, we do six to seven new works every single year. So you're constantly being choreographed on. And you're never just sort of sitting around feeling... Like, okay, this is what it is to be a dancer and I'm not going to go any further. Like there's always that next challenge that's just around the corner. And that's the thing that I appreciated the most until my knees told me it was time to stop. And so I I stopped and went into (laughs) teaching. Mm -hmm. Give us a top three favorite ballet. Diamonds. Okay. Agreed. Two more, two other (laughs) tops. Serenade. Okay. Um... As crazy as it sounds, West Side Story Suite, probably. Totally. So fun. Yeah. So it's that multifaceted side of John the Dancer. That, <laughs> yeah, out there in sneakers and khakis and yeah. messing up my hair and, mm. you know, being... Because I got to do the little solo and cool mm-hmm. eventually, yeah. where I got to just go crazy. And again, people were like, John? <laughs> so I was always very reserved and proper uh-huh. and, you know, classical in that sense. So sure. it was fun to just um, let my hair down a little bit. And, yeah and enjoy that different challenge. Right. Right. So throughout your career, did it ever occur to you like, oh, I wonder if I would be interested in a leadership role within the ballet world? 
It did a little bit. Um, I would pinpoint 2008 when uh, Peter Martins, our former uh, ballet master in chief, who um, he picked me to lead the first ever Dancers' Choice mm-hmm. uh, benefit performance, which was for the Dancers' Emergency Fund, which was a fund that had been established in the 80s, and they had done some benefits around it, but they hadn't done anything in a long time. And Peter had this idea of let's have a dancer oversee the programming, the casting, the marketing, the fundraising, everything. And this will be a nice opportunity. And he called me into my office and and asked me if I'd be willing to take this on. And I, of course, said yes right away. And that was my first chance to to really look behind the curtain and see what how the other departments work and how everything that goes into it. And it gave me a huge appreciation of our staff at New York City Ballet and all the work they do behind the scenes to make the dancers look as good as they look. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I went to school um, around the same time I started... Um, taking courses at Fordham in January of 2009 and I majored in organizational leadership because that was the most interesting classes I was taking and um, I didn't know where it would lead but I wanted to be prepared if in fact a great opportunity came along right that was the next question I was going to ask is how so 2008 to 2017 which we'll get to which is when you were leading the transition uh, team uh, that's quite a a long time so I was wondering what so what else besides going to school were you doing to kind of continue to develop these skills that put you in a good place to actually take over at the helm? Well, I was teaching a lot at the school, um, which being in the front of a classroom with students is a leadership role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're in charge of their development. You're in charge of their safety. You know, you you have to really oversee kids from here all the way up through, you know, young to old and, and how they progress. That was mm-hmm. That's a huge responsibility to take on, I, I've always felt. Mm-hmm. Um, I started our golf tournament fundraiser at New York City Ballet, <clears throat> which we now share with the School of American Ballet. Um, about 10 years ago and it was an idea I kept pitching to the company because I just love golf yeah. and <laughs> no, our board no, members love golf and I play with them uh-huh. and they would always say to me we should do something a bit more formal you know mm. this could be a fun event to <laughs> yeah. get dancers connected with the board and, and raise some money for the company so I started that from scratch and oversaw that um, until just recently and then the the school created a new program, the professional placement program, in 2015, and they asked me to to oversee that program and to develop it also from scratch um, in collaboration with the student life department at mm-hmm. SAB. So I was, you know, having to strategize, have a vision for what the program needed to look like, and then figure out how to put that in motion. Every step of the way that I've done this, I've had help right. mm-hmm. that has has made me look, I think, better and more successful than I really am. I always right. lean on people for support and for advice and help and um, been very fortunate to have some great mentors along the way. Mm-hmm. And so that all you know, kind of led to having a bit of a leadership role at the school, working side by side with Kay until I was, you know, entered into this where I was involved in more of the decision making Mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. To me, this is really interesting because we've talked to a lot of artistic directors that sort of just get dropped in, Right. you know, it seems like you really primed yourself for this position in a way that's pretty unique in the ballet world. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a way that future artistic directors could replicate what you've done? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're trying to do that with um, some of our, you know, more senior dancers in the company is find leadership opportunities, find opportunities to flex those muscles and spread mm-hmm. the wealth. Right. I yeah. mean, I felt like I, I sort of got more than my share of opportunities, <laughs> which was great for me, mm-hmm. but it's not so great for everyone else around. So we want to diversify that a bit mm-hmm. more. Um, but I really think, I mean, going to school, it's not the easiest thing to do when you're a professional dancer, right. Right. but you get in the company at 17 years old, it's the last thing on your mind. Yes. But getting a college degree really, really has helped me. Right. I know how to read financial statements mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, you know, learned a lot about leadership in terms of, you know, how it can be developed. You know, people I think have some certain instincts that are natural, but right. there is a way to actually have a thoughtful process as a leader also. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn those strategies and tools. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So in 2017, you were um, brought in to helm the transition team. It was the, only the second time in New York City Ballet's 70-year history at that point that a new leader was being chosen. Um, what was it like to be a part of this process, knowing that the decisions you were making then could impact the company for years or even decades to come? Uh, it was a lot. It was scary. It was um, invigorating. It was exciting. Um 
it, it was obviously very challenging. Um, I went from being a peer to having to make decisions that impact people's livelihoods, their casting, their, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, but we, we kind of dove in head first and it's, you know, yes, I had preparation, but I still felt like I was dropped in because mm-hmm. I got right. a call on a Wednesday and they were announcing me on Friday. So it was, it was a, it was a bit sudden. Um, but again, I, I really tried to lean on people for support, mm-hmm. all the good people around me. And, my goal, I said to the board when they asked me to do this was, you know, however long this lasts, whether it's, you know, two weeks, six months or 20 years, I want the organization to be better off than when I was in this role. Right. That was my mm-hmm. only goal was to just continue to improve the organization. Mm-hmm. And so we did make some changes right away, even without a whole lot of authority because we were interim, this interim team. But right. there were right. certain things that we saw that needed to be addressed immediately. And we um, had the backing of the board, which was wonderful. And we just went in, dove in headfirst and tried to be courageous and, and do what we could to improve um, not only only the immediate um, working environment and the, the immediate day-to-day stuff at the company, but set the company on a track to continue to be successful for decades to mm-hmm. come. What were some of those changes that were something that you guys as a team really wanted to focus on? Like you said, regardless of how long your this interim team lasted. We needed to break down silos like immediately and improve communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a dancer in a professional ballet company, you can both attest to the fact that you're left to your own devices a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And what happens is if you're not getting enough feedback, you start creating stories in your head. And then, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I, I've never every done decision, that, <laughs> ever. Every decision is ba- you create a narrative around every decision. Yeah. You create a narrative of whether the artistic director smiles at you or not, or whether they <laughs> yes. walk right past you after you did a show that you felt good about. And that artistic director could just be literally completely distracted right. and not even thinking <clears throat> about that moment, right. but you are. Mm-hmm. right. And so we really work right away we and in, we installed um almost immediately dancer evaluations which mm-hmm. we had never had at the company um and we started bringing different departments together to talk mm-hmm. more and um we started having many more meetings with the dancers you know talking to them one-on-one and as groups asking for feedback um and then we you know we wanted to just make things more efficient. There were a lot of processes in the artistic side of the company that had been set in stone for quite a long time. And so we had to really work through that, look at our, um, our, assignments that the the repertory directors have for mm-hmm. each ballet some have far more than others but you know we had to look th- how that's all working because it just was not mm-hmm. efficient right. and at city ballet it's a fast-paced environment right and there was more stress and drama than there needed to be sure and then we really worked to up- update the wellness program <laughs> And everyone thinks of wellness for dancers as physical wellness, like massage, physical therapy and stuff. But there was, there was really not much, if any mental wellness. Right. So we've been working really hard the last few years to really upgrade that program and Mm -hmm. provide far more resources for anyone who's struggling with anything, um, which is something we're really proud of. And we found some funding for it and we've been able to really upgrade our, our facilities and our, you know, what we offer. We have all those like those pants that you put in those compression the pants best. And, stuff. Yeah. Oh, and the so Theraguns and mm-hmm. new tables and we have exercise equipment and we have a gym and we have just oh, all this stuff. So sorry. it's, it's just much, that's much better. That's something I'm, I'm very proud of. As I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm thinking that all of these things that you sought to change was because you knew the organization so intimately already coming from it. I think so often sometimes artistic directors come from a completely different place maybe. And that could be great too. It provides a different kind of right. um, perspective, but it's, it seems like you guys all had this, you knew as a dancer what needed to be changed. So how much collaboration was going on between four of you, right? Mm-hmm. And like, did you all agree on it or was there a lot of back and forth? My guess is probably it was pretty easy to work through. Yeah, it was an incredible teamwork mm-hmm. with the three others mm-hmm. and um, a very new position for all of us. So we sure. leaned on each other for support. Um, but yeah, we were all very much in agreement of where things needed to go. I mean, there is the unfortunate reality that you run into of a large organization and you can dream all these things Mm -hmm. and it's just not realistic to 
to get them all to happen immediately, but at least get the plans in place. But having that inside knowledge and all of us were not far removed from being dancers. Right. So we had that memory of, oh yeah, this is what that felt like. And this is how I perceived this decision. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so we could look back at very easily at what it was like to be in their shoes Mm -hmm. as all these things were changing. Yeah. Another um, change you made that I think was pretty much universally lauded was the decision to bring back dancers who had originated really iconic roles in the Balanchine Rep. Some of them hadn't been in the building in decades, and so it had been kind of a point of criticism in the past. Um, why was this an important thing for you to do one, as one of the first things you ha- had done as artistic director? Well, we need to fill our minds with as much knowledge as possible. And as much as we think that that they'll be here forever, these people won't be here forever, and they won't be mm-hmm. at a position to be able to come into the studio and work. We also were in a transition period with our repertory directors, our artistic staff, where there's still you know a handful that have worked with Robbins and with Balanchine, but there's a handful that never did. Right. The rest mm-hmm. of the staff never did, as similar to myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't work with either one of them firsthand. Unfortunately, Jerry passed a couple months before I started with the company. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So it was close, right. but um, I never worked with him. And so... We said before this generation is not with us anymore, we need to arm ourselves with as much knowledge as possible. Right. And I know why, you know, Peter kind of did what he did where he had his his um, his staff who were all there and he needed to protect them and their, you know, their authority and their position in the in the company to to stage these ballets and to carry on these ballets. You can't just bring in everyone every time we do Serenade or something Mm -hmm. to just come in and stage it. Um, But what we felt we needed was we needed as much knowledge as we could gather. And they're all such wonderful human beings and to just have them back and embrace them. And, um, you know, especially, you know, bringing Suzanne back was, was really thrilling. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure she was thrilled as well. Uh She seemed to, to say that um but to really get a new insight on diamonds where we've always had a very kind of narrow take on a ballet like that Mm -hmm. Um, and then that gives us the choices that we can then make for the dancer with us we say okay we know it's option a option b or option c let's find the one that works best for you Mm -hmm. but before we only had option a right so it's it's been a really exciting process Mm -hmm. and the dancers i know have really um, enjoyed getting to work with someone that they is a huge role model for them and right. an iconic dancer from right. that, that period. Right. Yeah. I mean, with Suzanne, the example of Suzanne, I think having her come in with people like Maria Kowalski and Sarah Mearns who have either been compared to or been very much put in her repertoire for the course of their careers. And then, you know, Maria nearing the end of her career, she's retiring very soon, getting that um, experience must have just been so special for her. Mm-hmm. And she's going to pass that on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. It's not just for our artistic staff. It's for the dancers as well who right. are going to be carrying on these ballets. That's how, that's what's so beautiful about classical ballet and dance that it's it's passed on generation right. to generation. So now they have that knowledge too. Yeah. Um, and it was it was just it was special. Yeah. I mean, watching Eddie Valella, Coach Joaquin on the stage for the ending of Prodigal Son. And we were like, oh my gosh, I wish we were filming this. And, you know, they, none of them wanted to be filmed, right. which we appreciate and oh. respect. But to capture this moment, we're like, just law. I can still picture right. the image because I'm like, okay, make the mental <sighs> note and image yeah. of this so that I'll have it forever. It was, it was unbelievable. I understand that them not wanting to be filmed. That was what I was actually going to ask you is how were you guys recording this? So how many people were in there trying to like furiously write notes or like, how did you kind of work around that and still um, record what they were saying? Well, these repertory directors are so good and they have Mm -hmm. such great memories and they did take a lot of notes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have that information and then as soon as it went out there and was performed, we have that film um, also, which is another wonderful thing about Mm -hmm. we capture our performances. Mm -hmm. Um, It it can be a blessing and a curse because some ballets have been tweaked because of one mishap in a performance and then you look at the video and you're like oh okay that's what they did right like no 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 no, no. that game of telephone gets so wild and that's why we work so closely with both the robins and balancing trust to Mm -hmm. ensure that these these ballets are being passed on Mm -hmm. um 
with the highest integrity mm-hmm. and maintained at the highest level possible. Right, right. So also for the first time in the company's history, you have the support of an associate artistic director, Wendy Whalen. How do the two of you collaborate and how are your roles different? We collaborate in almost everything. Mm-hmm. We talk daily, you know, text and everything. Um, she's involved in every major decision we the company makes, both artistically and just overall. Mm-hmm. Um, she really works hard on the programming, which she's very good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets in the studio, you know, to coach. She danced everything. Mm-hmm. And so many of the ballets we do still, the newer works were made on her. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so she brings a unique insight that no one else has. Mm-hmm. Um, but most importantly, she provides this really unique perspective and is like a check and a balance for me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what's so important in the dance world. I think that there are checks and balances in place and that there is another voice and another perspective at the top of a company because you guys know, you know, an artistic director can feel like they hold everything about your life in their right. hands mm-hmm. and that there it really isn't a way to kind of, there's no one else in the organization to say, well, but what about this? Right. right. And let's make sure we don't forget this because Mm -hmm. it's a lot. Like I have a lot on my plate, especially with the school and everything. Mm -hmm. I can't stay on top of everything. So I'm able to give her, um, you know, tasks, responsibility, authority, but also importantly, she's a very strong voice in, in everything we do. Right. That's kept me from making some mistakes, you know, for <laughs> sure. And, and also just let us down a path that I never would have considered mm-hmm. that ultimately ends up being a better path to right. take. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this past year and a half, you've led the company through its first major break in 70 plus years. Um, can you tell us about some of the challenges the company faced during this pandemic that were maybe unique to New York City Ballet were? What we found was, okay, we're a very large organization and we were very fortunate to have an endowment. So at no point did we ever think New York City Ballet was not going to exist anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. That was a nice place to be for sure. But we also found that we, because we we perform more than any other dance company in the country, um, we rely very heavily on ticket sales. Mm -hmm. And when those go away... Um, you know, we lost almost 50 million in ticket sales from March of last year through when we're going to open in the fall. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a very large payroll. And so when you lose all that ticket, those ticket sales and you have this very large payroll, how do you how do you manage that? And right. we actually were too big to receive a PPP loan um, because the way they count employees, it's anyone who's worked for the organization the past year, which includes the kids in Nutcracker. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we have, you know, just under 400 employees and the cutoff was 500, but based on our tax records, cause all the families fill out tax forms for the kids cause they do get paid mm-hmm. right, form. Um, they thought we had 1100 employees. <gasps> so both rounds of PPP loans, we tried and we did not qualify. <sighs> So we really leaned on the support of our our board, our major donors, and really our family of supporters from around the world. And Mm -hmm. we received an incredible response that allowed us to provide relief payments for our union employees to, you know, keep as much of the staff on as we possibly could. You know, we had to do pay cuts Mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was probably the biggest challenge was was, you know, having to stomach the thought that we can't pay everyone what they normally would get and also need to be able to to continue to live in new york city and stuff Mm -hmm. so a lot of um our dancers and other employees gave up their apartments and you know moved away for a time until we were going to be starting back Mm -hmm. um but in terms of the actual company um our immediate priority was finding a way for them to keep dancing. So we mm-hmm. got them all a piece of Marley mm-hmm. that they could put down on their apartment or home where they were staying. And then we got the studios open as soon as we could, but unique to New York city, which was very strict mm-hmm. and needed to be because it mm-hmm. was a very difficult situation in the city in the early months. Um, we were not able to open our studios for several months. Right. So the dancers didn't have a studio to dance in for several months. And we were so worried about injuries and how they would, you know, you don't ever want someone to feel like they lost a step mm-hmm. for the rest of their career because they had this long period off. Right. Right. But what we found was the opposite is that these dancers worked so hard that as they're coming back, they look better than they did before the shutdown because they put in so much hard work. Wow. So that initial fear we had, we, we grew from one dancer in a studio, a studio at a time to four dancers to eight dancers 
to 16 dancers and mm-hmm. now it's open because everyone's right. vaccinated. Right. So mm-hmm. now the dancers are back in the studio. We're doing partnering classes again. We did kind of a summer intensive for the company where oh, we offered fun. several classes a day. People could come and go as they yeah. needed to. And we did, you know, technique class, both, we called it gentle, medium, <laughs> and fast, depending on where they were in um, their because that's what we that. heard from the dancers. We kept asking right. them what they needed, and they said, "Well, I'm not able to come in and just take an hour and a half class. I right. need something gentle, softer." So we called yeah. it gentle. We started with slow, and we're like, "No, that's not right. It's just gentle." Right. I love that. Um, that's good. And then, and we would put teachers in there based on that. And Marika Molnar, who runs our wellness program, would talk to the teachers about what they needed to give. Oh, she's amazing. And then we would do point classes variations classes men's classes partnering classes and then in the eve the late afternoon early evening we had yoga pilates um strength training classes that's amazing so it was kind of like a summer intensive over the last several months and i think it um it paid off because the dancers like i said are looking strong they're looking um they're feeling fit and they just can't wait to get back out there one question we were going to ask you is related to that, like what expectations you have for the level that they will be coming back. But it sounds like you don't even have to worry about that anymore. But was that something that you were kind of considering when you put together the rep for this coming season, not knowing yet where they kind of would be now you're feeling more confident about it. We are. And we sort of put the rep together, like just thinking, let's get back full blast. Yeah. No, no, no holding back. Let's not even think about like easier ballets versus hard ballets. Okay. Let's just put it all out there and we can always gear it down if we That's have right. to. Right. And what we're finding is that we don't have to do that. And we're actually really excited. I mean, I put Symphony and C on the opening night program because it's one of the hardest ballets for the entire company <laughs> that we do. And I wanted it on the opening night program. Number one, for the dancers to have something to, to aspire to, mm-hmm. but number two, to show the world that we're still New York city ballet and we're back and we haven't lost our edge that this company has always had and the spirit and the energy Mm -hmm. that this company has always had. And it's been so it's been a blessing to see these last couple of weeks of smaller scale performances that it's all there. Right. Were there moments, um, over the course of the pandemic, things were just constantly evolving. I'm sure in the earlier days too, were there times where you just had to completely scrap what you were planning on doing and then go back to the drawing board? What was this back and forth like for you? Uh, it wasn't fun. For sure. <laughs> I mean, I think the le- leaders of any organization in the last year and a half, it just feels like you're constantly treading water mm-hmm. and we, and you're being reactive and mm-hmm. we all, we want to be progressive and we want to be, um, proactive and we just feel like we're constantly reacting and we're trying to put, you know, three scenarios in place. And then you end up with a fifth scenario by the time it's all said and done oh, yeah. because, um, because of the waves and the ebbs and flows of right. the virus and, and the vaccinations, which is super exciting, but then the variants, which, you know, there's still doubt and there's just no scientific evidence for any of this. Mm-hmm. So you keep wanting to say, let's trust the science and, you know, we'll listen to experts and the experts say to us, well, this is our best guess. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and it doesn't feel good to be in that position mm-hmm. to just be going based on a best guess, right. but that's all we have right now. Right. Um, and I think there's been a ton of silver linings and I think, um, we've learned a lot as an organization, but certainly the leaders of this company have learned a lot. And I do believe we're going to be stronger on the other side and a mm-hmm. better organization. Yeah. And we've tried to use this time as productively as possible mm-hmm. to right. make sure that we're a better organization on the other side. Yeah. Right. You've, so you've now been involved with the institution, either SAB or New York City Valley, in so many different roles over the past 25 years. What do you think some of the biggest changes you've seen happen have been? I think at SAB, um, it's a warmer place. Um, I think it was a little, it was very cutthroat and competitive. Mm-hmm. And it was a little cold, you know, honestly. And I know students in years past felt a little bit like just cogs in the machinery. Mm-hmm. And what we've really tried to do is is make sure each student has agency and each student is seen and heard and each student is supported and belongs in the mm-hmm. space and, and make sure they know that they belong. We've made some big changes in terms of communications with the parents and how progression looks mm-hmm. from you know the children's program into intermediate to advanced. And um, that's something that I'm really proud of, that mm-hmm. we've really changed the manner and the feeling at the school which um, 
as a former student, I remember what it was like. Right. And, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> I wasn't too long after you. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in the company, um, I've really tried to build a team of people around me um, so that it doesn't feel so isolated. But as I said, it also there's a clear process in place for every decision that's made. And that process is transparent. Mm -hmm. And that was never clear before. It was just sort of felt like it was at the whim of one person, right. mm -hmm. good mood, bad mood, you know, right. things mm -hmm. like that. The decisions were sort of flippant in that way. And what we've tried to be is really transparent with the processes we do so that those narratives of guessing and wondering don't exist. Right which is um, a huge change because right. it used to be dancers felt like, just tell me what to do. Right. I'm just told what to do. I do it. And then I go home right. and that's it. And it's, it's a much different feel mm -hmm. now. Yeah. You mentioned SAB. And when we're talking about how insane this past year was for you leading the company, what was it like also working with the school? How much, how involved were you in kind of navigating those waters as well? Um, I used this opportunity to be very involved in the school mm -hmm. because I um, hadn't been able to always when the company is really right. in full blast. Sure. I'm not able to be over there a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I used my office at the school every day since last fall mm -hmm. um, when we did open in person for a time. Mm -hmm. We were able to do that. And I wanted to spend this year really focused on SAB while I was doing all the work for the company, but really focused on SAB. Mm -hmm. Kay Mazo has always run the school so well that I was never worried about it. So mm -hmm. I had to focus my attentions on the company, but right. now I really, um, became involved in a lot more of the decisions mm -hmm. and I taught a lot more, which was a real pleasure. Mm -hmm. And the students were, as you would expect at a place like SAB, incredibly resilient mm -hmm. and committed. And we did a couple, you know, like two and a half months in person. Then we went on zoom for several months. Then we came back for the last couple months of the school year in person. And we put on a performance at the end for them and they did so well. Were you, was, oh, I watched, were you I, I yeah. watched virtually, but okay. I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> yeah. see in person, but I, I loved it. The idea was that all, all, every student basically got to do a variation, right? In the advanced right? division. Yeah. yeah. Got, and got an opportunity, which was something we had never done before. And we're like, wow, this is actually maybe better than it was so wonderful. things we've done before. Yeah. yeah. And so the students, um, they got jobs in a COVID year, which we had um, 10 of our dancers got jobs in professional companies. And only two of those were at City Ballet. So eight got jobs elsewhere wow. during a year when nobody was hiring. Right. Um, so, and that's a testament to their their resilience and their mm -hmm. strength. And mm -hmm. it was just a super talented group. And we were so afraid that they just missed, would miss their chance right. based right. on bad luck. Ugh, right. Yeah. So we did everything we could and we have um, a handful coming back. So we wanted to make sure they have a chance. Right. So we'll mm -hmm. have a bigger class this year, but yeah. it's important to us to make sure they have a chance to continue their dream. Right. Yeah. So let's shift to New York city ballet moves, which is a, um, traveling offshoot of the New York city ballet. What has the organization, um, kind of been up to since the last time they were in Vail? When were, uh, when was, when were they here last time? I believe it was 2012. Okay. So it's been yeah. a little, been a minute. Been, been a okay. little while. So that, I was like, it never been here with us. No, so, yeah, yeah, we haven't. Yeah. 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 Um, well we, this, this New York city ballet moves idea is really to improve our visibility around the country because mm -hmm. we really are too large to tour right. as a, as a full company. Our agreements with our orchestra are such that we have to tour with them in the U.S. So it's not just bringing mm -hmm. 100 dancers and some su support staff. It's also bringing 64 musicians. Right. So um, it's, a, it's a large lift for mm -hmm. any presenting organization. Right. And mm -hmm. so uh, um, out of a strategic um, planning process back in 2008, 2009, um, this Moose Tour idea came about. And it's been really wonderful. It's given us the opportunity to be seen in places we wouldn't be seen otherwise. It's given us the opportunity to perform in more intimate settings. Usually we're in very large theaters and the audience feels far away. Mm -hmm. And um, getting to perform in these smaller theaters is a different feel for the dancers. Mm -hmm. We've also had the opportunity to, to see a lot of debuts and give younger dancers opportunities to do roles that maybe they're not quite... Um, it's not quite their time in the company because mm -hmm. there's, you know, two principal dancers who dance right. those ballets and they're still at the peak of their career. So mm -hmm. we're not going to move them out of those roles, sure. but right. we can do that on these moves tours. Nice. And we try to mix up the casting and the group that goes. Um, and it's really, it's also a touring can be a bonding experience mm -hmm. as I'm sure you yeah. guys know from yeah. your experience as dancers. And, 
um, getting to travel along as a group, getting to know people better than you would in the the mass mayhem of mm-hmm. New York City Ballet when we're at full scale right. capacity is also has been really special. I was a dancer on some moves tours and then I went as a repertory director now as a artistic director and it's um, it's always something I look forward to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are particularly excited for the opening ballet tonight. Opening the whole festival will be Jerome Robinson's Dance at, Dances at a Gathering. It's a favorite of Rebecca and mine mm-hmm. and I'm sure yours, but I think it's going to be extremely poignant. What what about that ballet is just so uh, perfect to open after two years of Vail Dance Festival being shuttered? It's, um, it's very human. And I think we need humanity right mm-hmm. now. And there's a very human element to Dances at a Gathering. It's about community. It's about um, personality. It's about being yourself on stage. You're not playing a part. Mm-hmm. You're not there's not some character you're having to play, mm-hmm. but it's also um, not so abstract that you just have to put on a firm face and, you know, right. be super intense. And that's the, the way <laughs> yeah. you approach it. It's like you really can go out there as yourself mm-hmm. and you forget that the audience is even there, honestly, right. because you're just dancing with your friends and mm-hmm. colleagues. And um, Dances at a Gathering is a very special um it's a very special ballet for dancers. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very special ballet for the audience. And I know a lot of people, it's their favorite ballet, uh, but it's a very special ballet for dancers. If you always want to do it and you don't ever want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. If you've got, <laughs> if you've been lucky enough to get in it. Yeah. Right. And I was fortunate to dance it for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, I think it's going to be emotional because it's an emotional piece. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a very touching mm-hmm. piece. I think it's going to be emotional tonight. But in all the good ways, people are going to be feeling things that they haven't felt in 16 months. Right. Very exciting for that. (laughs) I told Michael as soon as we saw it on the program, I was like, well, we'll be crying (laughs) during that. Yeah, it's going to be really incredible. So what else uh, will audiences be treated to from New York City Ballet Moves uh, during this festival? Yeah. So tomorrow we'll be doing Jerome Robbins in the night, which is one of my personal favorites. Just another beautiful Chopin piece Mm -hmm. that um, is... um, a bit has a bit more characterization mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Each couple has a very speci- specific intent as to how they approach the choreography and how they relate to each other, mm-hmm. and they're each different. But beautiful, beautiful piece. We have our wonderful solo pianists here with us who are so talented, and it's just sitting in um, these performances the last couple of weeks, just feeling live music and dance at the same time kind of wash over me mm-hmm. is a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see Alexei Ratmansky's really um, f- phenomenal piece, Pictures at an Exhibition. So I've never seen it before. I'm so excited. It's, um, <laughs> it's so Alexei. Uh-huh. When you see it, there's some moments that it's just so him. Right. And he really does wonderful work for us at New York City Ballet mm-hmm. and really knows our dancers so well and knows how to use them at their best. And there's some really great, as always, there's some great humor and mm-hmm. there's some great, um, just really musical moments that you're just like, wow. Yeah. He he does that, you know, in his ballets mm-hmm. that you just have those wow moments. And so it's a really great piece. It's full of energy and it's very, very hard. I was just going to say, it's super easy to dance, right? Like I'll any Ramansky ballet. You know, all of Alexi's ballets. It's just <laughs> yeah. like you're on stage, you're like, what? Uh, no problem. <laughs> I know. It's it's hard on the legs, his ballets yeah. are hard yes. on the legs. Yes. Uh, but he, this was a... Uh, this is one of my favorites of his mm-hmm. that we do. And mm-hmm. it's it's one that I do think you learn a lot from from multiple viewings. I wish we were doing it more than once here, but it's okay. Everyone can come to New York and see yeah. it. And <laughs> do it again. Nice plug. And then we'll also see... Um, uh, Sonatine, uh, oh, which is a beautiful little pas de deux that's not that's necessarily right. seen a lot, and mm-hmm. it's it's just classical ballet, mm-hmm. and it's um, just really um, elegant, but also athletic, and mm-hmm. and a really nice pas de deux, mm-hmm. and it's one that I think a lot of people probably haven't seen before, which is always nice to present something that's not as famous as dances mm-hmm. at a gathering and uh, in the night, yeah. and I think it works really well with the Vail Dance Festival, like what Damien does. He so often mm-hmm. brings in these little balancing gems that you really aren't going to see too often elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a great choice. Um, before we open the floor to questions, maybe one more from us. Um, so much of what you has kind of characterized your leadership in your City Valley so far, I feel like is just having the foresight and being able to plan ahead. So what about... What are you thinking in terms of short-term and long-term goals for your artistic vision for the company? 
Well, we need to, um, I mean, I would say I'll start with long-term. Well, we need to really ensure the viability of the, the balance sheet and the Robbins rep. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make sure that the ballets still are fresh, full of energy, um, full of the musicality and the footwork and all the things that are demanded of keeping these, maintaining these ballets at the highest level. Right. That's a big goal of ours. Mm-hmm. But we also need to, almost more importantly, continue to tell new stories and present new challenges both for our artists but also for our audience. Mm-hmm. We need to challenge our audiences. You know, They need to come into the theater and feel something. They need to walk away with it stuck in their head of what they saw. Mm-hmm. It's very, it could be very easy to fall into the trap of, you know, commissioning safe ballets right. or things that are fine, you know, that, mm-hmm. that will, will look good on the stage, but 10 seconds later, the people in the audience will forget what mm-hmm. they just saw. So we were really looking at telling stories, um, uplifting voices that will really, you know, make people think, challenge people's ideas of, you know, who New York City Ballet is and, you know, what great art and great dance is. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it's, I think it's easier for us. Our audience is very sophisticated. So the standards are very high with mm-hmm. what we have to present to them, which is great. But also they're super open mm-hmm. um, and get very excited about the new works we do. Um, but we need to um, we need to continue to move this art form forward in a way that younger audience members will latch on to mm-hmm. and be excited about and start coming to the ballet every season. And we're competing against a lot with streaming services. Yeah. That's We're competing for people's attention yeah. uh, more so than probably at any point in the history of classical ballet sure. or mm-hmm. you know, certainly New York City ballet. Mm-hmm. So those are our goals. Um, but then also we need to make the company more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive. Um, we need to make the culture short term goals is to improve the culture, improve, continue to improve communication, improve, um, the leadership capabilities across the board, whether it's people in leadership roles, but also developing new young leaders within our company who can take this company forward. And, and we just need to ensure that this company will, will hold its place at the head of the dance field um, mm-hmm. and continue to push the envelope in all the right ways. Right. Oh, so many exciting things to come. We can tell. And it sounds, I'm, I'm tired thinking about it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also invigorating. Right. You know, right. it's like, I know it's so much work, um, but I'm ready to take on that work. Yeah. And, and I know um, the organization is as well. So we yeah. have a lot of support. Very good. Do we have any questions from our audience by any chance? Yes. First of all, thank you for bringing dancers to to them, for sure. I'm just curious, given the pandemic and the challenges you had and have met, and now looking forward, I can't talk. (laughs) Do you think expanding the moves notion would be constructive going forward as a way to bring the ballet to more locations, to add some other elements besides the classical ballets that you mentioned? Um, is that a possibility that you could uh, consider? We would love to. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges is our current union agreements are very restrictive in terms of how we travel, the kind of rep we can do um, as we travel around the country. Because our union agreements are based really solely on the work we do in New York. And we haven't quite been able to um, adapt those agreements enough to allow for more smaller scale touring Mm -hmm. we need to be more nimble um and so i've been doing work with um you know some of the some of the unions and stuff to talk through this process with them so it's not just at the negotiating table but it's it's giving context and it's (laughs) working with them so that we can collaborate to um to find a way to spread what we do so well around this country at a higher and and broader level Mm -hmm. Of course. Are there ways that you could just identify four or five dancers and say, Jerry, Sally, George, here's an idea. Go away and think about this idea. You could do it in a city. It's not a labeled New York City ballet project, which I hope would take it out of the reunion restrictions. But you could support them both with personnel, with costumes, with this or that. Um, I think of the example that Troy Schumacher did with the Nutcracker last mm-hmm. fall. I just, that kind of blew me away. Mm-hmm. I brought the dancers back and they were so desperate to dance. It was a terrific idea. 
Is that something that you could expand and you'd be supportive, you could provide help and so on, it just wouldn't be under the moniker? necessarily necessarily of NYCD. Sure, and we do do that. You know, we do we did that with Troy and we're very supportive of Daniel Ulbrick and his group that he takes around and anytime dancers or, you know, honestly, sometimes opportunities come to us that are not going to work for us and we do pass it on to dancers we know could take on that challenge mm-hmm. and bring a group of our nice. our of our dancers, you know, renting our costumes and and doing some of our rep and so we we we're always very thoughtful about that. And we'll continue to try to be strategic in that sense because we'd rather something happen there than nothing at all just because we can't do it as as New York City Ballet, which mm-hmm. comes with all the bells and whistles. Right. That's another great example, like you're saying, of kind of giving dancers some leadership roles. That's a great way to be able to do that. Right. I was going to say I can confirm what John was saying because I was helping Troy at the beginning of that Nutcracker project and he was just like – Thank God, if we didn't have John's support, it wouldn't, you know, we'd never be able to get off the ground. So for sure, yeah. it was an integral part of the process. Wonderful. Additional questions? Yes. I enjoyed your digital gala. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about how that came together in that experience? Sure. Um, we, we had been doing, you know, some digital work. We had been streaming a ton of older performances, which was thrilling, which we, we didn't know how it would look on a flat screen. And then we watched mm-hmm. it and we're like, I'm feeling all the feels yeah. right now. <laughs> so it came off well, which we were excited about. And then, you know, given the restrictions, we were only able to really create new works in the early part, like what we did last fall out on Lincoln Center Plaza, because we weren't even allowed in our studios at that point. So once we were allowed in our studios, our priority was to get more balancing rep out there if we were doing something as a gala celebration that would be current as opposed to old archival footage. Mm -hmm. So we worked through a program and then we thought, well, you know, there's a million different ways we could film this, but we want to do something that will be exciting. And at City Ballet, we're always looking for collaboration um, at the highest level. And so Sofia Coppola had been connected with us back in 2019 for our fall fashion gala through the designer Anna Sui. And I had not met her then, but she had come and watched a rehearsal and had been very complimentary and excited about what she saw. So I sent her an email and asked her if she would help us out with this. And she responded very quickly, just saying that she would love to do what she could to help. Let's get on a call. And one of the first things she said when we got on the call was that, you know, she said, I want to do this for free. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll donate my services because I know you're going through a very difficult time. I know this is a fundraiser. I want to maximize your fundraising. So let's find a way to do this. Let's get the production costs down and let's find a way to do this that will work best for you. So immediately there was no ego involved. Mm -hmm. She wanted to make sure she did what was best for the company. And uh, we had several conversations. Then she showed up. We filmed it all in two days. The dancers only had five days of rehearsal because we were under such restrictions still then, both financially and COVID related. And it came off, you know, better than we could have hoped. And she created this really poignant look at the theater and look at our dancers and a look at these ballets. And then Justin Peck did that beautiful solo for Anthony Huxley. And it all came together in a way that we were really um, thrilled with. And that got a lot of views, you know, Mm -hmm. especially having her name attached. So it really, again, helped spread the brand and um, the art that we create around the country in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do without someone that has her caliber of filmmaking and her her Hollywood name. And we cannot wait to work with her again. (laughs) I mean, she came up to me to thank me for inviting her to do this before I could thank her for doing it (laughs) us and she the cinematographer she brought in was just top notch and so he kept saying to me i'm just so glad i get to film dance i never get to film dance and it was really an incredible process honestly from start to finish that was the first time since covid had started where we feel like everything worked Mm -hmm. and fell into place at you know the best way that we could have hoped for so it was yeah it was a, a very special memory that i'm gonna have forever with that piece i i have a follow-up question actually about that because we're talking about new york city ballet moves and how that's a way that you're getting the brand of new york city ballet out and now you have this platform this digital platform also to get it out so how is that um mixing into your plan maybe doing some more digital works um like you mentioned we are hoping to do some more digital works we're looking at you know something like four 
for over the course of the year mm-hmm. um, that would be newly filmed. Very cool. Um, but again, there's a lot of things that have to fall into place, including sure, sure. negotiations, <laughs> right, right. because none of us were prepared right, you know, for right. this. It was not part of the contract, and there mm-hmm. were certain restrictions there. Um, and all the rights, you know, we have to make sure the rights of the choreography, the costumes, the music are all protected in the proper mm-hmm. way. And once you put something out there, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, we just want to make sure everything's protected in all the right ways possible. So, yeah. Um, we do believe that we cannot go back to the way things were right. before the pandemic, right. but we're trying to be really thoughtful and careful about how we go forward instead of just sort of throwing a bunch of stuff out there and seeing what sticks. Sure. Right. We want to make sure it's highest you know, quality and representative yeah. of what we expect from the company yes. every day. Sorry, I interrupted One you. Go ahead. One last question. <laughs> So I was going to say the digital seems like the thing. <laughs> Those ballets were amazing and seen worldwide. Is there are there any plans to possibly make them live at some point oh. for audiences? Specifically the Justin Peck with Anthony Anthony Huxley for Anthony Huxley. Yes, that ballet will be seen on the stage. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can't say when. You yet, heard it here first. <laughs> yes, you heard first. We're also, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, um, when I talked to Justin about choreographing the piece, I said, I want you to choreograph something that will be great on the film, but also that we could do in the rep going mm-hmm. forward. So that was always the plan. <laughs> and the same with Kyle's piece when we fell, um, that was made up at Cotspawn. That's also likely, we're not sure when, but likely to hit the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not the outdoor stuff in this, in the reflecting pool will <laughs> probably not hit the stage <laughs> at the David H. Koch theater. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, w- that was our goal that these weren't just going to be one-offs when we were back in the studio and on a stage that they could actually have a life going forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Any other questions? There he is, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> drop down in the weeds of the total non-sequitur. The company on the other side of the plaza announces its casting for the entire year right out of the box. You guys announced the whole program and the casting only what, maybe three weeks in advance, something like that. What's it for people flying in from Michigan? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the reason ABT is able to, able to do that is because, especially for their Met season, it's it's full length program, so they can decide that casting. You know, if we were doing full length uh, ballets, we would, you know, we we decide that stuff months in advance. Um, the problem with being a repertory company is if you saw our casting sheet our casting sheet backstage it's covered in red ink there's so many changes <laughs> uh-huh. throughout the course of a season and so what we would do is we would if we put it out too far in advance people would potentially show up to performance and it would be a completely different mm-hmm. cast mm-hmm. Um, but what we're trying to do is is um is move our process up from what we've done. That's one of the changes we're making. And so we're actually working on casting now for the fall season that doesn't open until mid-September. And we're going to be sending it out to the dancers. Actually, they're going to get some of it today. Mm-hmm. But what we found is there's blank spots. There's things that we just do not know um, in a rep program where there's so many names up there, you right. know, both in mm-hmm. principal soloist and core casting, because there's still some people recovering from injuries. Um, there's... You know, unfortunately, dancers do get hurt even during a pandemic. Um, (laughs) And there's also um, a domino effect when it's in a repertory season. So if one person goes out of one ballet, it impacts five other ballets because that person then has to move to this ballet. Someone else has to move into that person's spot. Mm -hmm. And we do try to make sure everyone gets on the stage and all that. So I'm looking for ways and pushing my artistic staff to move the process sooner. And this is the first time we're trying it. And there's certainly bumps in the road, but I hear you. <laughs> and um, it is something I do wish we could we could um, find a way to get out there sooner so that the dancers know what, what's coming for them, so that the audience knows what's coming, but also in a way that's not going to set people up for a call center to get angry calls of, well, I came to see Tyler Peck and she's not, you know, she's not dancing tonight. She's dancing tomorrow night. You know, mm-hmm. things just, unfortunately, in our company with the fast pace and the amount of ballets we do, which is far more than any other company in one year. It's just, there's so many changes. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong about this, but I think in Valentine's day, they would sometimes announce casting the night before. 
Yeah, well, when I first got in the company, it was announced a week before. We yeah, do that's two how weeks Miami City Ballet now. was. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're making progress. Yeah, yeah. we're moving <laughs> forward. We used to get the rehearsal schedule the night before the next day. We wouldn't know our schedule for oh, the next yeah. day until the night before. Now it's two and a half days yeah. before. So, yeah. you know, progress. <laughs> but it's a very good question, <laughs> and one that you're very perceptive to pick up on. <laughs> do we have one last question? Anyone? Yes. Thank you uh, for everything you've produced for all of us who can't travel regularly, even without the pandemic, but just through the pandemic, being able to show dance to my little girl up close like that, right in front of the TV, where before she just had the 90s version of the Nutcracker to watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So it's just thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And we're... You know, we're so glad that we're in a day and age where it's much more accessible than it ever was before. And we mm-hmm. want to continue to to be a part of that. And showing the mental health of everything. Just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us, John. And thank you all for coming out. Let's all go watch some ballet tonight. Yay. Thank Thanks, you, guys. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Special thank you to Tom Boyd for producing this episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.